Tonight, we begin our October movie lineup with Cabin in the Woods and Tucker and Dale vs. Evil. Then we continue our Star Trek Deep Space Nine watch through. And we'll conclude tonight with a little bit of look at Picard Season 3. All this coming up right now on The Writer Brothers! Welcome back to your Tuesday night home for some of the best discussion on all of YouTube, Twitch, and Facebook, all at the same time. I am, of course, your host, Petey York, joined, as always, by our uh, resident Halloween decoration, Mr. Corione, Witch in Residence. Congratulations, happy October. I don't know what the proper greeting is for you guys, but... Uh, Cool. Yeah, it's like Merry Christmas. It covers everything. Uh, Arende writes in, good evening. And of course, joining me after completing uh, his, I want to say, 27th lap around the sun. Jesus. Uh, 28th lap around the sun, Mr. Pollo Zapatos. All right, I forgot to do a thing. So, Corion, you were giving me the correct uh, greeting for the month oh, of yeah. October. Yeah, so um, you Merry can either go right? with uh, happy. Uh, <laughs> you can either go with a happy Samhain, or you can go with happy Halloween. I'm good with either. I'm pretty relaxed and easy about stuff. All right. Well, that's always good. I, I like to be the same way. You know, it's because it's, it's that whole. Uh, oh yes, and as I said, after completing his 28th lap around the sun, Mr. Pollo Zapatos, aka John, my younger brother, who decided this was something we should do, and uh, so far it's working out pretty well. Um, so, ten years ago, Joss Whedon, before it was confirmed that he was a turbo douche, uh, gave us Cabin in the Woods, which I do find to be a very brilliantly written take on the entire horror movie concept. Uh, the movie takes place in every town America next to the mountains of someplace scary average where mountain range america yeah a average mountain range america near city town usa and uh some teenagers decide to go uh, on a weekend cab at the cabin in the woods and uh along the way uh things go as about you'd expect in your typical horror movie stupid decisions are made tropes are had and scary monsters come after them but then we quickly find out that not as all as it seems in fact there's more this entire situation of a horror film scenario is actually in a controlled environment that turns out to be a ritual sacrifice so that um, the demonic entities that live in the center of the earth, maybe some neighbors of our friend uh, Mr. Overlord DVD, uh, they could rise out and they'll kill us all unless they sacrifice teen blood. And at the very end, two of our heroes decide that they're not going to go through with it. And uh, basically the world ends. Oh. That's what I remember from watching 10 years ago. I got my day to not do the homework. Uh, at least I waited till after 25 episodes. Um, of course, uh, this, of course, was Poyo Zapatos' October movies picks, so you can blame him for the discussion. And uh, You mean thank me for the greatest <laughs> comedy horror movies of all time? 
Well, you know, we're going to talk about him. Um, yeah, Arende writes in, but wait, there's more. Find out for only $99.95. Yes, super ultra deluxe diamond gold platinum uh, dipped and deep fried membership will start at one at hundred bucks a month. I might just put it up there as a gag, to be honest. I just thought... Or twenty easy payments of nine ninety nine due to compound interest. Right. Well, you know, and, and then there's also going to be super monkey ninja pirate edition of it. You know, where you see us all in different hats. I mean, you know, I, this is, should say more of an internal discussion, but I am thinking that yeah, after our ten after our standard tier, which will probably be about ten bucks. Uh, pending no more inflation. And uh, yeah, after that, we should definitely make some just all over the top ridiculous tiers. But then the problem is we're going to get that one guy that's going to buy them. And then next thing you know, we're, you know, we're, we're at a pool party. They're going to have awkward. a lot of tarot cards with me on them. <laughs> uh, just so long as they're... April Fool's Day. Uh, I think you're on a different timeline than me there, Cozy Koala. Listen, says, just so long as the pictures are tasteful and don't wind up on the internet, I'm down for whatever, so. Arende says, uh, Ghostbusters is the the only comedy horror movie, nothing else. Arende, I will see your Ghostbusters and raise you Shaun of the Dead. Um, gentlemen, John, would you you like to start us off since I did a lovely synopsis reading of (laughs) Cabin in the Woods? Uh, why you picked this movie and what it means to you and why you're wrong? (laughs) <laughs> so well cabin in the woods it's my favorite comedy horror and i say that better than ghostbusters because ghostbusters was comedy within horror it was horror first it was a movie about ghost hunting and ghost fighting Shaun of the dead is also comedy within horror it's the funny people getting attacked by zombies it, it, in the case of cabin in the woods the biggest thing about it is that it is 100% a traditional horror movie while simultaneously the audience is well aware that it's hilarious. Like, instead of actually having any belief that the characters A, should survive, B, will survive, or D, aren't gonna die in laughably comedic ways like falling over a tree branch like every basic chick does in every horror movie. In this instance, like, not only were we waiting to see how it was going to be played out in a serious manner, but also, like, we're laughing at these kids getting pumped. Now, obviously, it's a horror movie in a serious manner. It's meant to scare you and meant to be thrilling, but you're always pulled one shade back because it's a funny version of horror movies while still having all of the characteristics of a horror movie. And that is placated by the narrative that really like shows that they had the option. There's the scene where they go to the the gas station at the beginning of the movie and the old man says like, you guys really don't want to go to that cabin. You should turn back. And there's a moment where they're like, "Mm, maybe this guy's onto something. But then they keep going. And then we find out later in the series that like gets a radio call saying, hey, man, you almost overdid it. You almost like we can't fail this ritual. And then as we're watching more, it's out that like every town America isn't the only town that has to placate these gods. It turns out that every nation 
is also placating their deep darkness with a ritual sacrifice. They are satiating them. But then as it goes on, it turns out that like only one of them tends to get it right every year. And that's why every nation is trying. And America being the cabin in the woods motif, they've been winning year over year. Whereas like the Japanese uh, seen, I think it was, it was some form of spirit ghost. Um, it's a it's a takeoff on the ring is what it is is it well i know there's actual like japan lore around ghosts like that yeah but i, I mean they're they're they're, they're, they're riffing on the ring is is the idea right yeah and it, but even to riff on the ring they also still like also combined that idea of classroom antics um it, the movie you discussed on your personal channel shameless plug uh the the prisoner one where the kids had to do the ritual oh, fight uh battle uh battle royale yes battle royale yeah and so instead of them fighting each other they're fighting this ghost and it was that same ritual and that's what i mean by this movie is it, it took the acknowledgement of all the horror genres it took the acknowledgement of all the horror movies and then said what if they were actually ritual sacrifice conducted by the deep state now let's make that movie. And that's why I say it's the greatest comedy horror of all time because it's the only non-horror comedy of its type. And then, well, it was until Tucker and Dale vs. Evil came in and Tucker and Dale vs. Evil doesn't dethrone it. If anything, it just makes the openness for more styles of this comedy horror to grow bigger and better. And that's what I love is that if Cabin in the Woods wasn't as good as it was, Tucker and Dale would never exist. And Ghostbusters and Shaun of the Dead, they were great, but they exactly lay the groundwork for Cabin in the Woods. They they showed that you could make the scary things slightly funny. Like even Zombieland is better than Shaun of the Dead, but even then I wouldn't call that one a comedy horror. Okay, let me provide a little bit of a different perspective on Cabin in the Woods to you. Because I watched this and I had a very different experience. I didn't see it uh, as a comedy. Real quick, oh. though, I'd like to yep. just address that. Arende wrote back, uh, Sean is good, still think Ghostbusters is better. Uh, Arende, that's perfectly fine. Here, you're allowed to be wrong. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, we actually do value opinions here, but I, it did make me think, coming up with that stupid response, did make me realize, and I would like to get way out ahead of this. So over here on, on October 11th, 2022, I'm getting out ahead of calling us the wrong bros. Because you know that's probably coming in the near future. And uh, way ahead of you guys. Anyway, go ahead. All right. All right. I've got a different op opinion on Cabin in the Woods. When I watched it and I was seeing these elder gods or whatever you want to call them that they're sacrificing to. Guys, that's horror movie fans. That's what they are. And that's why they have to be killed in the specific order. Because that's what horror movie fans expect. That's why they're different. That's why only one works in, you know, tends to only, uh, only one tends to work per year because only one horror movie on average makes it big every year. Dude, that's so meta. It, and that's it's, what tells it's me. A, damn it. It's now only, I wish I watched it. Right. It's a meta commentary on the horror genre entirely. Arguably, it's one of Joss Whedon's best pieces of work and that's hilarious given that his career 
has aged like fresh milk left out in the sun. Right? <laughs> I mean, you know, he's, um, you know, but this is, this is the point. It's, um, it's a Metacon commentary on it. That's why they had all these different monsters and everything there. Because they were make they were literally sitting there going, oh, what monster are we going to pull out of the box to entertain the fans of the genre? That's what this was all about. That's why they couldn't leave either. That's why they, you know, made a point of showing that they were drugging these guys to make them dumb enough to play this game. Because anybody who actually had any brains wouldn't have gone in the cabin in the freaking first place given well, everything that happens before in the that cabin in the, well see i think that's the funny part in terms of like like that's where the comedy really comes in is it there's the whole scene where the uh, the stoner kid he has not handled the drugs the way they thought he would they, they throughout the whole movie he is ripping weed like nobody's business and they're like yeah we gave him a specific strain that would like dilute his intelligence and he's just like yeah i probably smoked that on the bus ride there and bought an extra bag on my way out that they didn't even know i was gonna buy and like, that's why he survived a lot longer than they anticipated he should right right but then it still goes to show because like he's picking up on all the finer details but he's so stoned that he's like, I, I don't think a stoner should be the one to tell everybody all this stuff. Like, I don't think I would be trustworthy. I don't even trust me. Why are there cameras in this room? How high am I? Wait, these actually are cameras. And that's the whole thing. It's like, it's just one stoner living through a government or uh, mission. Like, yeah. Yeah. But th- this is my point, though, is if you watch this film and assume that the elder gods here are actually horror fans, you start realizing that this whole thing is a meta commentary on the horror genre overall. And every little piece of it starts to fit into that mold. The fact that like we see the, the control room dudes, as I'm going to refer to them, um, basically relaxing and taking it easy and not taking any of this seriously is absolutely a commentary on the makers of horror movies, right? Mm. And them betting on, you know, the and the people in the control and betting on what movie is going to take off. Look, I have met the guys from uh, M Press, which is um, uh, the Masters of Horror kind of collective. And they have that attitude. They're like, well, one of us are going to produce a film this year that's going to take off, whether it's, you know, the Freddy guys or the Jason guys or the alien guys. One of us is going to have a great horror movie, right? And not to mention, as far as meta-analysis goes, they're one of the few groups, the Master of Horrors community, that actually, like, merges. Like, when aliens started killing and predators started killing it, they're like, well, obviously they're in the same universe. And they made... A, like a uh, a crossover and that's amazing like not only is this a commentary on horror but it also goes to show how great the horror community is in terms of working together to build bigger better scarier horror whereas like the rom-com community is like well if they take my rom-com money i'm never making another rom-com again whereas like horror is like ah freddy beat me i'm i'm gonna kill freddy 
You know what? Yeah. Freddy versus Jason. Let's go. Yeah, exactly. This is my point. This is how this is how deeply meta Cabin in the Woods gets. And in that regard, I, I'll be honest. I didn't see as much humor when I started realizing what the game was. I started going, this is like a sociological meta commentary on the horror genre and all the authors and the, the, the staff and everybody involved in it. And the fact that it starts and the movie starts and you've got these like office drones getting ready for like a day in the office is 100% not just to mess with the audience to make them think they're like watching the wrong movie or something, but it's also to show how these guys treat making a horror movie to them. It is just another day in the office. It's just instead of, you know, where some of us would, you know, be pulling out the steamer to, to clear costumes or, or, you know, filling out forms to get certain components in certain locations or what have you. No, these guys are, you know, pulling out the chocolate syrup and dyeing it red for for blood effects and, and whatnot, because that's what they do. And they're they're and, so and, blasé about it because the horror guys, when they're actually on set, are that blasé about it. But then not to mention you add in that other meta idea of like, who is most notorious for coming up with the darkest, most messed up things in the entire world? Lonely white guys. That's it. And, and they look like that. Like you would never imagine, like Rob Zombie didn't come up with Halloween. He just funded those guys in their pocket protector white shirts to have the like, enough syrup to make the blood look more realistic that's it that, like rob zombie wasn't the one that came up with it it was those guys it was the guys that were like yeah i wish i had actually taken out my anger on somebody but instead i just wrote it all down and now yeah. here's a killer movie that yeah. also doesn't land you in prison <laughs> there you go right i mean to me that's that's what made this movie great is that it's more of a meta commentary on the genre itself and when you really think about it, Cabin in the Woods really did change the way we started getting horror movies from that point forward, right? We weren't mm -hmm. just getting the standard, you know, we uh, never final got this girl. Movie again. Yeah. yeah. All right. We, we never got that straight up deliverance cabin, middle of nowhere, Blair Witchy kind of movie anymore. Because the audience has matured enough that we've seen behind the curtain, if you will. And, and we're starting if, to get more intelligent about it. Which is probably why and I complained you, about Orville Season 3 Episode 2 so hard. Right. Because <laughs> it, it follows all the tropes. And that, I think that's funny, though, because the reason why I still consider it comedy is because in terms of... Uh, like Shakespearean comedy the idea wasn't necessarily that the story doesn't end tragically instead it's that you the audience don't feel bad for anybody like yeah. you don't feel bad that they ended the world and didn't sacrifice themselves but you also don't feel bad that they were being sacrificed yeah. and so it's funny because even in their sorrow even in the meta it's helps like like i said for me like it, this is something that finally showed me that horror had more to offer than just nightmares like it, it used to be if i saw any horror movie 
I'd not sleep through the night. I would constantly be feeling like somebody was going to get me. And it doesn't matter what horror movie. Was it the zombies? Was it uh, Freddy versus Jason? Was it Chucky? Was it Fred or Friday the 13th? Nightmare on Elm Street? Like all of that messed with me. But then when I watched Cabin in the Woods and saw all of these normal people handling it normally while also creating this horrible ritual sacrifice only then was i able to be like oh i don't have to take horror that seriously anymore and then i was able to taste more and i've, I've watched a lot of the things that used to scare me like I, recently i rewatched tremors for the first time in almost 20 years because that movie just made it so i couldn't go to nevada which is where my grandma lived <laughs> so like the nightmares on nightmares on there's just exponential and now all of a sudden here i am coming back to those movies with cabin in the woods as my overlay like at least i know these movies can be funny even if they're not supposed to be they can be and now i watch all those scary ones and go okay now i can see how that would have been funny in the cabin in the woods format and then that's what i dream about rather than the horror rather than the nightmares and and that's why i love it is it it's it bridges the gap between those that are like me who when they watch horror they they just can't do it and then those that love horror and want to get their friends into it this is the one that does it in terms of uh scared to death over at bad magic productions they call them creeps or pre peepers creeps are the ones that love to watch horror they always love anything that creeps them out peepers are the ones that like to pretend like they do but know for a fact they're gonna have nightmares listening to the stories and that that's exactly what this movie does is it bridges the creeps and the peepers like if you're a creep who wants your peeper friends to watch this is the one that get in there with you especially this halloween built up like this is the christmas movie that gets your friends to watch friday the 13th with you for once mm -hmm. uh arindy writes in personally with less than a literal handful of exceptions i strongly dislike horror movies i don't know if i can contribute much to this discussion well oh. Randy, you're me <laughs> yeah. I was exactly actually gonna say describing. actually I was gonna I was gonna really break it down and be like look for me personally um, I break horror down into three major fields of it the uh, gore kind of stuff where it's you know body horror there's blood flying everywhere that sort of stuff right there's jump scare horror where you know you're person's running along and something pops out and says boo and then you have the horror of the uncanny and that's where i like to hang out uh i'm not a jump scare person gory stuff look my mom was a navy nurse i've seen stuff right um it it, it doesn't really phase me but uncanny horror I grew up when wikileaks started becoming popular so i've seen yeah. the real stuff and i it, it does phase me and i don't want to watch it anymore yeah I, I don't know i guess i've just desensitized to it at this point like i'm like okay whatever i know it's not real um but the horror of the uncanny the horror of um uh, what i like to refer to as the thinking man's horror where you come across something that's so unknowable so ununderstandable that you are just so hilariously woefully prepared to deal with it that's the kind of horror i like and it's so rare to do well it's almost impossible right i mean we're talking like crazy lovecraftian style horror 
and that does not always translate well to film. So, well, Arendi, I, I get you. I respect you on that one. I will say this. Horror is a huge genre. There are definitely things you can find that you will like in the genre if you're willing to spend a little time and look and possibly take our recommendations. Yeah, and I mean, and, ne- next week and everything you mostly pre- spoke on Corian, I, I think pretty much applies to, to next week's uh, look at John Carpenter's The Thing, which I got as one of my personal... That, and that's and that's about the level of gore porn that I, I go to. I don't like, you know, oh, we're going to hack and slash. Like, even Zombieland. Thankfully, Zombieland was a bit more cartoon with its style of violence than, than super realistic, but... Like the Suicide Squad, and that's the reason I don't like that movie. I, I felt it was just too much hyper realistic cartoon violence, and the, you know, the fifth guy getting squashed and splattered everywhere and dismembered. I'm like, I get it. <laughs> so, yeah. um, and here's what I here's what I tell my son, and and what I tell any children that I meet when there when there's a scary movie or a scary episode of the show you're watching, and you're scared. That means that the writer, the director, the actors, they're doing their job. Like, they intentionally made this to terrify you. And so if you're terrified, you're not a baby. They're doing their job. Like, that was the whole goal of what they wrote. And when they wrote that and it scared you like that, that's what they wanted. And that's why you don't have to feel shame for being afraid of the movie that was literally written to make you wait. I, I I remember growing up in in school and stuff, and there was a lot of kids that were a lot harsher, like, "Oh, you can't watch horror movies because like you're a baby." Which and they I, I, I'm gonna but, I'm gonna I'd like to I like which, to address those kids real quick. Looking back on all that shit, fuck. You're dude. the reason it took me so long to like them. Yeah. Like, Just, if you I guys don't... didn't make fun of me for closing my eyes every once in a while, I would have watched a lot more while, yeah, obviously closing human my adults, eyes for human ad- pieces. Human adults have their issues, but man, kids are just pieces of shit. <laughs> well, and, but if you remember, the reason why kids are saying that is because they're scared too. Like, the only reason you know that somebody else isn't yeah, I know watching that now. because they're scared is because you're scared. And that's, well, and that's why I say to kids, like, the reason you're afraid of this movie is not because you're a baby incapable of understanding that it's fake. You're scared because the writers wrote something scary that good. and it yeah. worked. Mm-hmm. And and that's no there's no shame in that. That 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 would be like you shaming me for enjoying a perfectly cooked burger from the guy who makes the best burgers. Like that doesn't make sense. How dare you sense. not support your local McDonald's and buy cancer? <laughs> So guys, we got some uh, messages from Arendi there. Yeah, go ahead and hit that. I'm gonna I'm gonna transition. Yeah. So when Arendi re- uh, replied, I think directly to me, when you said Lovecraftian, Harley Cth- uh, Harvey Cthulhu comes to mind. Yeah. Uh, nothing scarier than nasally voiced puppet. <laughs> Look, um, here's what I will say. Um, I have had some great arguments with Harvey over the years. Um, you know, I am. And I am very much looking forward to making the offer, shall we say, of doing a project with him coming up in the future. I always thought that uh, a Lovecraftian movie uh, reviewed by a witch and a Lovecraftian monster could be very, very fun. 
Yeah, so, and uh, Galinda, Galinda writes in, uh, Hello, beautiful people. I'm lurking foe are the moment. Uh, great. We're just glad you're here, Glenda. Thank you for, for tuning in. Um, and then Arende says, Horror movies no longer scare me. They're just unpleasant. That's pretty much where I'm at, too. Like, I like a good psychological thriller. I like what the thing does. I like, uh, you know, and I do like Shaun of the Dead's progression take on, on the zombie apocalypse. But it does get to a point where it's like, all right, I'm just, this isn't, not in the movies. <laughs> I'm going to go watch Star well, Trek. If you want to find good horror with solid plot, solid stories, it's very hard to find, especially when you're somebody that finds it just unpleasant. But obviously, Cabin in the Woods is one of my highest recommendations. Tucker and Dale vs. Yeah. Evil is my second highest. And my third eh. is Scream, the new series. Eh. Or not new, it's like season four or five on Netflix right now, but it's from MTV. It's another meta-analysis of the slasher films. And it's written from the like the people experiencing the events of Scream are also the ones very aware of all of the horror tropes. So they actually take a lot of time to explain what's happening in the show while simultaneously explaining all the other horror movies. And I find it to be one of my favorite horror tv shows because it does still confuse you it does still send you through a loop nobody makes sense and it's a fun one so if you if you want a good story horror that's similar to cabin in the woods it's also not grotesque because it was mtv so it is tv 14 or tvma without nudity um and or swearing and that's a great great horror movie that is great writing but also not what you guys are talking about. It's not as unpleasant as all the rest. There are some grotesque scenes. It is kind of a serial killer story, so it does have tropes from known serial killers and historical serial killers, but it's not grotesque in Saw sense. It's not grotesque in here's a blood splatter for 20 minutes, Nightmare on Elm Street scare. It's more of like, oh, there's a finger. Okay, I, I've seen that in CSI a thousand times. It doesn't bother me. Rather than like, here, let me cut this finger off and like, that's what bothers me is the intense blood flow. I'm just like, I don't like that much blood. Uh, but <laughs> speaking of more blood flow and gore, uh, Tucker and Dale versus Evil. Now, this is basically um, a super hyper exaggerated. Um, lesson in don't judge a book by its cover <laughs> yeah essentially what happens is some teenagers are going out to the woods um we've seen this before and um I, I, i'll do the the play-by-play -play on this one real quick oh fine so and then you can just lead into oh i get it you just want to talk more all right no, no, this one I want to no, do. No, no, it's, play it's the Pollo Zapato show with Corion and Petey. Go right ahead, it's all yours. Well, happy birthday to me. I have finally ah, become. Damn the it, of course you're going to play that card. Screen. And on that. <laughs> you're so right, it's Dale. the Pollo Zapatos with Petey and Corion show. <laughs> I, I, I take it back, you're right. It, it is your birthday. Today only. Shit. <laughs> uh. Tucker and Dale vs. Evil starts out with this super grotesque 70s horror film playing out uh, describing these inbred mountain people 
just killing this group of hippie kids that went out for like a stoner Saturday um, to hang out in the woods. And then we see the same cabin where all the, the, the opening scenes uh, happened. And in that same cabin, we see two of the most redneck, and I say redneck as not a pejorative, but in support of the Virginia and West Virginia rednecks. Um, they did still wear overalls. Uh, they did still look like Hicks, but a redneck is a very, it's a term of endearment for me because I found out about where it comes from. You should all look into that. But so it's two of the most redneck people you've ever seen in the entire world showing up to this cabin and they are uh, uh, no no i'm sorry um oh, i'm gonna I have to throw a flag already? on this play-by-play here and uh and correct some misinformation uh they they, they do have that sort of trope I, I mean while alan tudyk is definitely a viable uh hick the uh dang i already forgot the guy's name the the, the more uh, dale yeah dale duh uh, Dale is, 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 he's just a dumb, lovable bear. Um, I did not he think that he was, I, T. Trevor Wilson so much. Yeah, I didn't quite, comedian. I didn't quite feel like he was, uh, he was pulling those, uh, Squirrely Dan vibes. I, I felt Squirrely Dan is a bit more redneck than Dale. Uh, and by a bit, I mean well, considerably. And, and I'm just going to say the, the actor is 100%. Like Squirrely Dan. Okay, hold on though. Wait, but what? the actor who's playing Dale is 100% discount Jack Black. Yeah, that's what? why no, I didn't dude, buy it as a total redneck. Huh? He's discount Squirrely Dan. Are you kidding me? Dollar no, man, store he's, Squirrely Dan. He's he's oh. discount Jack Black, man. He's 100% discount Jack Black. You know, that's funny. That- I feel he's discount Squirrely Dan, but I agree. Dollar, or, excuse me, dollar store Squirrely Dan, but discount Jack Black. It's like that seems of equal value. Right. It feels I mean, like he is if Jack Black and Squirrely Dan had a kid. It, uh, maybe, that's maybe. a thought I didn't need. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, that, that that's kind of you know. Now you've created a new ver- a new genre in the horror market. But anyway, yeah. uh, I will say this: into really Bi- biologically impossible <laughs> children. Yeah, that, that's a man. Um, anyway, um, that actually seems like a great Amazon series. It's yeah, right great. I just gave Bezos his next billion dollar rings of power um the actual billion dollar one the one that actually gets the views the the one that's worth a billion dollars as opposed to costs a billion dollars yeah exactly yeah um go go ahead and continue though i i think that they're definitely of a redneck grade four variety but definitely not like this is not duck dynasty you know no and come on and that's the point is is a look like rednecks because they've shopped they at the only stores available to rednecks like but at the end of the day they're just two best friends they're just two buddies yeah i can't I, like and that's it every single person who has a best friend can relate to tucker and dale mm-hmm. and that's where it's the best like that's i think where the comedy really spawns itself is as they're going over this cabin that we've just watched this murder series take place that was on par with friday the 13th on par with hills have eyes and then there's these two guys who've never had much money and when they see this cabin they see an actual project we have our own property look at how great we are we finally made it and then 
that's all overlaid with these rich kids that are coming into the same cabin, the same area where the cabin is, the same forest. And they're like, this cabin is every horror movie we've ever seen. We're gonna die. And I love that it's the very obvious difference between the city rich and the country poor. The country poor see that cabin and they, that's a fixer upper and it's on the cheap. And then the, the city rich are like, that's every horror movie I've ever seen trust no one kill everyone and that's where the whole story really starts to spin into its one story that is surprisingly well written as far as the plot lines go because there is one person in the in the rich kid group who has ties to the cabin that he fails to really like let anyone know about yeah fails to disclose and he actually is on a mission a mission of being a justified serial killer he wants to kill all he's like from the beginning from the time we meet him he is this pompous arrogant i'm going to kill people kind of kid but he's also a law-abiding citizen so he wants to go to the woods where he's not going to have to deal with the law he wants to find inbreds so that he can justify murdering them because he's related to a murder that happened in this area. And I love that this whole movie is then the funniest slapstick horror I've ever seen, ever. It, it, it's so great. Well, okay, well, so for, for me... That this was again one of those great meta commentaries, because we we just talked about how there are specific archetypes in horror for the team that is dealing with whatever the monster is, and the interesting part is normally each of those roles would be filled by one of the teenagers, right? We have the the blonde airhead, we have you know the the virgin. We have, you know, the one who's actually pretty capable, but there's something impeding them. All these sort of, all these sort of genre pieces. This movie flips the entire script. Okay, the 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 final girl, who who's destined to survive, is Dale. Okay, <laughs> um, it, you know, the buddy the is the jock competent superstar is the girl that Dale's chasing. Exactly. The, the, you know, is the girl that they, they happen to rescue. The, um, you know, Alan Tudyk's <laughs> character just... is the really competent one who keeps winding up with some sort of impediment to their competency. It's, they literally took the concept of deliverance and said, themselves. yeah, well, they, they, suicide cult. right. They, they literally took the concept of deliverance and said, Okay, but what if it's the poor, innocent, virginal rednecks who are the ones being chased by the college kids? And it was perfect, especially because Tucker and Dale do not once ever hurt any of these kids. No, they're 100% respectful human beings with honorable traits. When they save the girl and she realizes that she's actually just been rescued, she just immediately is like, oh. Oh, okay, yeah. What, what do you guys need to help out? I want to pay you back for taking care of me. Like, 
there's yeah. well, animosity and, and, and from the, the best the best example of that is one scene where you know she's waking up in this cabin in the woods and there's this dog watching her and she's not sure what's going on and the dude walks in with a tray and she freaks out and he goes oh and the and dale goes oh my god i didn't realize you didn't like pancakes hold on i'll go make you something else right i mean that 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 encapsulates the whole the whole piece is how ridiculous that moment is and how perfect it is and that every one of these kids manages to you know is on the warpath but somehow manages to screw it up and get themselves killed in hilarious yeah. ways that have nothing to do with the boys it, it, you I, know to me it, it feels like this is a, a, a movie based on john mulaney's uh joke about i don't think if i were to wake up with amnesia the first thing i would yell is who are you right i'd yeah. probably just pretend because i'm too anxious to feel stupid right and and you know there, there's this other piece that like i really feel plays to Petey so hard and that's um you know uh you are an absolute advocate for you know um learning how responsible gun use and ownership and we 100% see what happens when you don't put that in play with these kids and to hilarious effect and you know these poor well, rednecks are sitting there so confused it, it's all equipment management any uh, kind of yeah. industrial oh, yeah. equipment that may or may not cause harm this yeah, is that, that, a giant that, uh, OSHA violation film yeah well that freaking uh, you know bottomless revolver that spikes himself yeah, yeah. yeah. And actually I was the, the wood chipper to me was the best yeah, it's that, just like some kind was... of suicide cult. He's crying because he can't figure out why these kids are dying. Oh, and I, and I mean, I really feel for them too. Um, I mean, they they literally are like at one point. Well, should we go to the police? And you know, they're like, well, what what's the argument we're gonna have with the police? These kids keep running up all on our property and killing themselves. <laughs> like this is not gonna go over well. <laughs> And, and they're so confused. The first time they've owned the property, too. They're up there for their debut experience, homeowner. <laughs> yeah, I, I really hope we got home insurance because uh, that, that's oh, a. Oh, no. Yeah, like, I, I honestly think that, like, this is a horror movie, but only to, like, OSHA supervisors in companies, right? Like, everyone else will laugh, but those guys will be sitting there going, yeah. Yeah, this is my nightmare fuel. This is this is what I imagine happening on every job site. Right? Every OSHA anybody who teaches OSHA and Lean Six Sigma, all they have to do is just bring this movie and be like, Alright, you guys wonder why we have guardrails on the wood chipper. Here's why. Yeah. Play. <laughs> oh man. It, it I don't think okay. This does have gore in it. I'm not going to lie to to people like Galenda who are not particular fans of it. But this movie is by far a hard comedy. A black comedy, for sure. But a hard comedy first. And that's what makes it brilliant. It takes horror tropes and just goes, how can we play these tropes in the most ridiculous way possible? And make it seem the silliest thing we could have possibly done. 
And I mean, I think that almost gets encapsulated perfectly when, you know, our final girl, Dale goes to rescue the, his, his love. And he, he goes into like the, the evil dead armor up kind of scene. And when he shows up and he's all set kitted out and armored up and the girl sees him and screams, he goes, Oh no, no, I just wore this to look intimidating because I wanted to scare the, scare off these guys from trying to kill us. What do you think? And she's like, Oh yeah, yeah, that works for you. Yeah. I, I like it. Right. That, that is the perfect example of this movie. Just like approaching scary and then pulling a hard U-turn and flying in the opposite direction. And it works perfectly. Dude, I had never seen this movie. Right. I had never seen this movie before, like, today. Thank you. This was amazing. I really appreciated it. It was totally worth watching. Um, I thought it was fantastic. I found out why I hadn't actually heard or seen about this. Which I think it's important to provide a, a little bit to people. This was originally a Sundance movie. And it, but here's the fun part. It got offers to be picked up, but the producer didn't actually respond to those offers until way later, like months and months later. And by then the only people that were interested in putting it anywhere were like people doing DVD and streaming. So that's why it it didn't get the, the, public acclaim it should have and that's the best part like that's that's one of the main reasons why i i do this show is like i know that i am a huge stream binger and i've found movies like this and i'm so happy to bring this to you corion and to the audience like this movie is so funny and so great and nailed it on one try like oh, if yeah. it's a Sundance film that then got offered, usually they go in and up the value and everything like that. And they were like, me too. But we well, just put this out. And if you watch it, you'll enjoy it. I also have some other news for you guys. They have a Tucker and Dale two planned. Huh. Of course. We're going to get, aware. we're, we're going to get another sense. one. And I, I'm so hoping that they like, Tucker and Dale decide to go camping and we get like a uh, riff on the Blair Witch Project or something. I think that would just be hilarious. Bro, if they just keep going down this trope of like two poor people against rich people with just so much anxiety <laughs> that they'll think the worst of every situation. And See, I, I, I love the... Uh, I, the I want a TV version of this and I want it yes. to be like Scooby-Doo. Like oh where Tucker and Dale gosh, are traveling around and inadvertently running into like Scooby-Doo level situations and them having to redneck their way out of it would just be the greatest freaking film or like Bro, TV series. The best show, it would be the best if it was pitched as Tucker and Dale home renovators. Right. And so we constantly think we're renovation and every single time they go to renovate some house in a different state it's like like it's a poltergeist one and instead of them like freaking out and running from the house they're like we have to get paid like our we need the money and so instead of like 
running away or breaking anything. They're like spending time convincing the poltergeist to be cool. And then it ends like with all the original like inhabitants just. Yeah. And it turns out it's it's like like old man Fitzgibbons or something. And he just like has a heart attack because of something that they were doing or whatever. It would be perfect. (laughs) Well, dude, even if better is like if they convince the ghost to just chill. Right. Dude keep it together for while we're selling this house like we need to flip it and the ghost is like oh okay yeah this this might be the greatest idea that has come out of the writer brothers ever is tucker and dale tv series yes just the ultimate like we're gonna make the horror movies each episode but also the main characters don't know and react like normal respectful people do right yeah i uh cory you're definitely two for two tonight in, in convincing me to to get some fresh perspective on these uh movies because uh yeah i didn't i didn't I, I i knew there was something backwards about the tucker and dale versus evil but i didn't think they just took the the horror genre and flipped it on its on its or basically did the opposite um you know it for me, it could be a little hard to watch at some scenes just because uh, I just don't like watch well, like watching well-meaning nice people get tortured by assholes. Um, I'm just not into that. So just be warned, of course, viewers. Like there is, there is some moments that can be a bit rough. It can um, be hard yeah, to remember watch. Remember that horror but... is short for horrific. Like, and and that's that's why I, I, I the movies i'm pitching I, and yes i am giving them accolades and, and championing them but i am well aware that i am pushing horrific material yeah like well, this, this is a this is black children. yeah this is black comedy right like this is this is you know laughing at the graveside kind of comedy and you know i i, I make no bones about it but man it's funny <laughs> right I, I mean, it it's imagine the fun of teenagers or, or like college kids already scared that these rednecks are, are somehow evil. And one of them is doing, the, you know, doing the normal, uh, taking the chainsaw to, to chop down some logs, inadvertently nicks a beehive and is now running away from the bees, flinging the, this chainsaw around, trying to escape bees. And they're like, oh, my God, he's coming for us. We're all going to die that's the level of insanity and humor that plays out in this and it's perfect and it's you know misunderstanding hilarity yeah it's so well written it's so well acted it's so well presented that like if cabin in the woods isn't the one that gets your peepers to join you on the creepy side this is the one that at least allows them to understand why you like horror because it has all of the favorite horror tropes, but it also isn't scary in any way. Yeah. Grotesque, horrific, but scary now. Even I would even argue that even those people that are not super into horror at all, this is the this is your gateway to at least give them a, a glimpse of what it, the genre can be. Yeah, if you're if you're a peeper who wants to hang out with creepers, who wants to hang out with people that love, and you, and you want to host your Halloween party, this is a movie you can show 
not scare yourself and they also won't be mad you showed them mm-hmm. uh rnd um writes in uh tudic is a great actor firefly and resident alien come to mind yeah honestly resident he's... alien is so freaking good dude i love that show it's so funny yeah listen alan tudic can play any role yeah. y- you could Honestly, you could have him play a piece of toast and I'd be believing it and think it was one of the best uh, shows Dude, ever. In uh, Doom Patrol, he pay- played a, a fourth dim- or fifth dimensional being and it was the greatest season of Doom Patrol. It's the only good season, the first season. Right. Yep. I mean, look. And he was also the voice of K2SO from uh, Rogue One. Yes, which, fun fact, K2SO4 is the molecular composition of salt. So that was a very <laughs> salty droid. Yeah, salt machine. Alright, uh, we gotta take a quick brief moment of everyone's time and, of course, uh, do a quick ad break. Uh, this stream is gainfully supported by CMC Sutlery. CMC Sutlery has all of your Civil War reenactment and supply needs. Now, you might be asking yourself, well, what does a show like this being sponsored by a Sutlery for? Seems a little odd. Well... You come over here to the homepage, ccsutlery.com, and you scroll down across uh, all the different uh, categories here to credits, and you can see all the different museums and uh, different regiments that uh, we've provided for, lots of them, uh, including various Buffalo Soldier regiments. But for this show specifically, what matters to us is this right here, the Movies and TV Series section. Um, CHC Sutlery has provided clothing for 1883, Yellowstone, uh, Fear of the Walking Dead, and of course, uh, soon to be more recently, the upcoming Apple TV movie Emancipation, which on this show we are obviously going to be uh, reviewing. So, uh, yeah, or... You know anybody trying to make a Civil War-themed movie or Indian War-themed movie? Please send them our way. And if you decide you want to check out some of uh, some of the supplies yourself, uh, please feel free to mention that the Ryder Brothers sent you. So we know that the ad is getting... All right, that's Don't enough commercials free. for one episode. Feel obligated. If you go to CNC Sutlery because we sent you there, you're obligated to tell them that we sent you there because <laughs> it helps us. Yeah, you weren't before this video, but now that you've watched this video, you are obligated to do so. No. Um. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I want you to feel obligated. He l- listen. So I'm manipulating you to be. Poyos Apatos is actually trying to guilt trip you. Uh, all right, all right. Poyos Apatos. Poyos Apatos can manipulate the audience on his birthday. All right, we'll give him the I'm day guilting you into telling people you like us. Please. And yes, guys, please, uh, please, if, if if you do like what we do, please, uh, absolutely, obligatory like, share, and subscribe remark. We do love doing this. We love coming well, here every even Tuesday. Just say something. Like, Arenda, you've been here every week. We know you love us, and we really appreciate you. Absolutely. Like, it makes us feel motivated. Even just one longtime fan makes every single appearance worth it. And, and I love you for it, Arenda. You are... 100% appreciated for everything you've done. Glenda, you as well. Like, you've been here, you've been there. We've been talking to you over um, everywhere. Uh, Maria with Tiantelli, Orville Nation. Every time I just chats, you're the first person to say hi. I love that. And, and I 
100% appreciate it. Yeah, uh, thank yeah. you. You, you guys like are the, the non camera. We know you guys do. Yeah, you guys are the non camera stars of the show, and we appreciate you for being yeah. here. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, uh, enough, uh, more, you know, enough buttering the audience. Let's give them what they came here for. Um, oh, wait, we do have, speaking of well, Arende, yeah. we have fan mail. Uh, when K2SO slapped Diego Luna's character, it was completely improvised. If you look at Diego, he is not holding his face in pain. He's hiding his laughter. Random fact, to keep in line with the horror theme, can't spell slaughter without water. Ah, good. Well, laughter. Really, guys? It's laughter. Thank you. I didn't know that. I, too, have seen The Dark Knight Rises. Yes. And The Dark Knight. <laughs> no, it, uh... Yes, I meant laughter, but my Americanese sometimes uh, just gets in the way. Um, That's okay. I, I respect your American. Thank you. I also will put up with, you know, one boot a year, so I think that's fair. Okay, um, how many A's am I allowed, then? None. Oh. Plus five. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Just do whatever. <laughs> um... No, I do appreciate that you do keep the Actually, inner Canadian, I'm, I'm or maybe it's the country Canadian that doesn't have the accent. Fact. I'm disappointed that he does. But of course, <laughs> actually, we all know that the real Canadians are all located in Minnesota because they have the, the, the correct Canadian accent. <laughs> or the one that's stereotypically correct. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. Stereotypically correct. Um, Don't you know? All right, Deep Space Nine, once again, continues to amaze, and then we'll get to the <laughs> yeah, um, and then we get to the other episode. So I'll go ahead and uh, yeah. So uh, here we go with the the synopsis of I the passenger. Like the second episode. I thought that was a fun idea. You oh. can have your wrong opinions shortly after we discuss the passenger first. But we can make it fairly quick if you really want to get into on a long. Uh, Deep Space Nine expects a, dir- a Deridium shipment for Cobal or Cobalin, Obliacs. Sorry, I gotta remember sci-fi. Gotta put the sci-fi brain on. They are a dying race who need the material to extend their life. Kira and Bashir respond to a distress call of a Kobliad ship on fire. On board, they meet Tai Kajada. She's escorting a dangerous prisoner, Rayo Van... What's it? Ventica? Vantica? Vantica. Thank you. I forgot how they said it. Ty claims prisoner Rayo set up the sh- or set the ship on fire, something he'd done previously. Bashir wants to rescue him against Ty Kajad's advice, but is unable to do so. He confirms Rayo died, but Kajada isn't convinced or isn't convinced. She claims Vantica faked his death many times, and she has the feeling this time as well. No one on Deep Space Nine believes her until suddenly all memory banks are purged. Meanwhile, a new security officer, George Primen, is assigned. Odo dislikes him, and the feeling seems mutual. And thus, the sidestepping of Roddenberry's rule for Star Trek, which of course have been since flushed down the toilet, are continued to be honored in the series. Yeah. So, I would say that this is the first episode where we see Deep Space Nine go... Um into a fun to little a genre bend. World. Well, I was going to say doing a little bit of a genre bend because we have a murder mystery here, really. And we haven't gotten in deep into other genres quite like what we did here. Well, I would add one more thing that it's a murder mystery heist. Yes, it absolutely is. 
And we're constantly wondering, you know, is Vantica still alive? Is he like sneaking out of the morgue and doing stuff? Like what the heck is going on? Or is she overreacting and over assigning blame to someone we already watched for sure die? Exactly. It, you know, and we, we have an interesting idea actually in that we also get a little bit of a horror thing here. I mean, imagine not being in control of your own body, right? We, we get a little bit of it, uh, a little bit of everything, but this comes down to, yeah, like a heist slash murder mystery sort of scenario. And it really feels like we get to see Sherlock Odo, um, at work yet again, trying to figure all this out with, you know, Watson almost being played by like Dax in a lot of ways. And I like that they played with the, the genre a little bit. And I think this shows the, um, <laughs> Arendi, Vantica, it fits like a glove, you might say. Very cute. Um, but yeah, it's, I love that the, you could only get away with this, with this kind of story on Deep Space Nine. You can't really get away with it on a ship because it's not as open a port. There's not as many people in conflict. Let's be honest, in a ship, they just throw everybody into their quarters, and as soon as they see somebody going through the halls, they'd have the person. But you can't do that on an open port like this. Right? There's no way to control that many that many flow of people and just shove them all into rooms or monitor all of them. And that's what makes this kind of story possible here. Um, additionally, I feel like, you know, we get a lot of Odo-focused episodes in the beginning I think primarily because Odo was the best way for us to see the entire station and get to meet the characters on the station from his perspective which you know the captain isn't going to mess around with some of the darker grimier areas of the station right um, you know Kira if she found a darker yeah, grimier he's <clears throat> Well, I think I think as far as the, the, what you're saying about uh, following Odo, Odo is the only one. Like Odo is the, the the chief of security. He is the hero who has to deal with the devils, and that's like I think that's really what we get from D Deep Space Nine. Is like the captain on a ship obviously is the hero who has to deal with the devil. The captain has to talk. The captain has to maintain his honor, represent the ship at all times. Right, but in a and, port, yeah, and the, like the Kira, if she came across, you know, if Major Kira came across any of the grimy stuff that Odo has to deal with, she'd just knock it down with a hammer, or, you know, or possibly blow it up. It had to be horse. Odo, right? Yeah, it had to be Odo. He's the only one that gets to be here. Well, and, and I think that has a lot to do with like. It, and this is what I like Deep Space Nine as we're watching it, and and it's really funny because like I haven't actually watched a lot of the show. I've been hitting play and then putting my phone down and walking away and keeping it in my ears and listening. And this is actually one of the greatest stories, like storybook shows I've ever watched slash listened to because like I didn't actually see half of this episode last night. I was, I was putting my son down and. I have to keep the screens off so he's not like constantly staring at them with me. 
And so I was just listening and every beat, I was still like in the zone. Like, is 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 the guy alive? And, and, and they go on and they explain like there's some mind meld thing that he designed to allow him to enter a hominid's brain. And, and that's like, to me, a, a, when it comes to like recognizing Deep Space Nine for the quality that it is, we have to remember that the term hominid is from like 2001. Like there was a long time where the scientific community wouldn't agree that hominid is how we describe human-like beings that aren't humans. And that is where DS9 really shows its willingness to learn stuff because they're actually using theoretical science to explain fiction and fantasy and science that isn't science and and that's beautiful it's it's yep. not just beautiful but it's it, it's award worthy like when it comes to shows that care about research you don't expect the science fiction to be the most committed to accurate science fiction oh yeah i i honestly think that like you know um old trek if you will and like Futurama did the best of producing real science. And the fact that Futurama did horrifies me to this day. Arundi writes in, it's ridiculous. I remember these so well with only a few lines to remind me. Haven't seen DS9 in over a decade. Galinda replies, I watch DS9 regularly. Arundi says, I think it's a credit to how good DS9 is. And yeah, I agree. That's And, and this is, this is my 100% first time actually watching the show. Like, I may or may not have seen scenes from an episode throughout my childhood, but I've never sat down to watch episode after episode in a row in order. And these are that's the opinions I'm coming to as that person like i'm not coming to these feelings like parker or, or corion who who grew up loving this i am a first time watcher even though it's 20 years old and looks the way it looks and i am still 30. having feelings es9 turns 30 uh next year uh beginning of january january 13th happy I birthday believe. ds9 Jeez. yeah yeah yeah, no, we, we started this watch through at a, at a pretty good time. Um, ironically enough, we'll probably start, well, no, we'll some, probably start season two. Ah, figure it out. Um, yeah, no, this is definitely one of the, you know, I always say DS9 is peak Trek, and, and this episode is some of peak DS9 um, yeah. in the fact that, that we just get, we get the murder mystery, we get the heist, we get... Uh, there's just so much that happens in a small 45 minute time period and they just they just don't write these shows like they should be which i mean it's really funny galinda wrote in it's still timely and that's something i've hear, heard a lot of comedians say that like that's the thing that helps them with producing their specials you need to be uh it, you need to discuss the things that are happening right now in a timeless fashion Yes, and if DS Nine didn't nail that, wow. Well, and that's and that's the pinnacle of good sci-fi writing. It's the reason that Orville season three will still be looked on ten, twenty years from now 
as as some of the best sci-fi ever put on screen because it's it's not preaching it's not a pulpit show it's sharing an idea it's going through a theme it's getting you to think about these things and discuss them at, at, with your friends and family and that's really what a good writer should focus on like yeah i want to share my ideas and perspective but i'm not interested enforcing that on anyone nor do i want to come off as though you the audience are a dumbass because you're not you, you know you might not be smart in some things but you might be an expert in others and that's just that's really the the, the simple way of looking at all of us humans and as a whole um that's that's what we see here is we see a story that that goes through and and yeah as Glenda said it's timeless this show does not age at all it's it's aging like a, a top shelf wine and it'll be the best it will be i think it will be recognized as the best star trek in in 10 more years that's all it really needs because i i think about watching voyager again and all i can think is dread i think about watching enterprise again and i'm more interested in that we skip and just go to that one uh after we do ps9 if we're going to continue star trek um just because the because it also helps the way the show was written. As I say, it's a serialized, it's it's serialized, episodic. It's got an overall theme and overall storylines, but it also does a bad guy of the week as well, and that's what it does so well. And this is another great example of that. That because you know we may or may not see this particular villain ever come about again. So, well, and and if you think about it, like the only, the only person in a city that has a new bad guy once the last bad guy was taken out is the constable is the sheriff is the police and that's why csi law and order those shows can do 30 years of shows because like those things those are the people that you know actively hunt down and search bad people doing bad things and and so in a sci-fi show goes yeah the constable odo he's gonna be the guy that's the closest to all the nitty-gritty all the stuff that makes a good show good like that that's that's just knowing what you're like like what like where oh, yeah and like odo centric episodes are like deck 21 jump street right i mean like <laughs> that's what well, dude, I-, I was thinking about it they're the opposite of pirates of the caribbean they're the redcoats in Pirates of the Caribbean. Like, yeah, they're the ones that are supposed to enforce the order that was supposed to prevent Jack Sparrow. And Odo's actually good at it. Uh, Arende writes in: Music and movies all have one thing in common: timelessness. Look at the sound of music that we talked about last week. Um, mm-hmm. Also continues: yeah. Jolene Blaylock was a rather beautiful part of the Enterprise. Uh, you know, me personally, yeah. I, I kind of gravitated more towards. Um, linda park myself i'll give credit where due there was at least a little bit more lore effort put into to paul's uniform um that's actually one of the things i can't stand about voyager looking back while jerry ryan is a, a very beautiful and attractive and intelligent one um she would have been just fine in a starfleet standard uniform, and i think that's honestly what she should have been think that was a stupid ploy by the showrunners to be like oh let's put her in tights and not even give us an explanation in the process like you can't even you just she gets like if you if you had come out and done a throwaway line of oh my skin is sensitive because i used to be bored all right at least there's an effort there made to explain it but there wasn't it was just here she is in tights every week now guys we got more viewers now right and and galenda uh hoshi didn't get enough attention either 
I 100% agree. That was a character that they could have done a lot with. And she deserved more attention in the story. Yeah. So, you know, we probably will pick up Enterprise. I mean, that one, that's, that series I hated when it came out of the gate. But honestly, I, later in years, I watched it and I was like, oh, man. The, the two things that could have saved that show out of the gate. One, uh, an instrumental theme. Not not that, I mean, yeah, we all joke it's been a long road now. But that, you that know was what? Killer 1. Killer 2, they took Star Trek out of the title. Which I think is more offensive than than at least New Trek has the decency to keep the title. Now, I'm actually going to disagree with a lot of people. Because I will freely admit, when we got Faith of the Heart initially, I was not a big fan. But it grew on me, man. Oh, yeah. It's 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 now a staple in the Trek. In the Trek. I love that song, especially the season 3, 4 version. See, but I like the first one better than I like the season 3 and 4. See, it's too campy. Season 3 and 4 felt like okay, this is new. Like, yeah, we're back, but but we're we're new, and it was. I mean, Season 3 yeah. felt like DS9. Uh, like, later DS9 arcs, which, which we'll get yeah. into. Yeah, yeah, no, I love the song now. I'll, someone busts out Faith of the Heart and Karaoke, I'll have a lighter going, even though I don't smoke That's anymore. It. So, it, it's it's absolutely, I love I, it. I, I just summon a flame and put my finger up, so it's all good. Yeah, but. no, it, it's... I think we could probably do a watch through of it, um, but yeah. that's like in four or five years, unless we decide to double we'll up to tracks. Do that one after Red versus so, Blue. So yeah, no, uh, yeah, the Passenger has is pretty good. It's definitely one of the better uh, Deep Space Nine, and in a pretty decent episode of Trek overall. It's um, a nice contained episode. Yeah, but I have a feeling that our next topic of discussion is oh. uh, is going to do, do. Do we have to? Do we really have to? Bro, John said he liked okay, it for let one me and open for two. It. No, 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 no. I've got this one. Uh, I'm going to quote Mike Alonzo, a.k.a. Clobber and Times. Uh, he had a dissertation when he did it on his show going through this episode. Um, this is by far one of the greatest episodes of Star Trek ever conceived. Uh, there is, like, this is top-notch, true Roddenberry uh, exploring. I can't even do it. He did it so much better than me. Oh my god, this episode sucks. Um, I can't, I just, I mean, as far as worst Star Trek episode goes, it's the best of the worst. I'll say that. Um, the new crown, of uh, crowning, uh, episode for worst Star Trek, by the way, congratulations, Lower Decks, season three, episode seven. That is the, the stupidest thing I have ever seen with the label Star Trek on it. And I've watched all the JG movies and I suffered through season one and two of Discovery. Wait, wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You're including Code of Honor and you still say that this is... Lower Decks Season 3 Episode 7 is bad, and I was so pissed about that because this season was actually, dare I say, good. And I still say that the first six episodes are worth watching. Even if you haven't watched Season 1 or Season 2, Season 3 comes out swinging, and it went off a cliff. Um, so, anyway, we're not talking I'm about Lower Decks. To watch it I'm we're, disagree we're talking about... We're talking about Run Along Home. Home. And, uh... Yeah, I mean, maybe we should just run along home and call it night here. Uh. <laughs> oh, God. All right, so uh, I will freely admit this episode is painful, but somebody does have to summarize it. So, okay, basically, they meet a new it. alien. The new alien is obsessed with gaming, and Quark tries to screw them in a game. So they yeah, make they're him... screwing Quark out of a lot of earnings because they figured out his spinny game. 
yeah, like some version of roulette. They they figured and... out Dabo, and w- what winds up happening is they 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 talk Quark into playing their game, and in order to play their game, the pieces are actually abducted members of the Deep Space Nine command staff. And they have to play this elaborate puzzle game to try to break out of this nightmare realm of incredibly stupid puzzles. Um, The reason why people don't like this episode has a lot to do with the puzzles are ridiculous and feel like the kind of things that would be on a Nickelodeon child game show from back in the 90s um they really do um just with slightly deadlier effects um the fact that quark isn't in on the fact that the 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 command staff has been abducted into this i think detracts from the episode i think we would have gotten a far more interesting quark if he knew he was playing with people's lives the whole time. Um, but. Okay. Did you guys go into this episode super angry? Like just from the jump rewatching it? Or did you just not rewatch it? Oh no, well, I, I rewatched, rewatched it. it. Okay. So like, I know. And I tried the to. I tried time to. time Quark is given a decision. Like an option is the moment Odo makes him realize that he's playing with life. And that's when he says to Odo, you choose for me. Yeah. And Odo doesn't understand that Quark made the connection yet. Like Quark's not going to, you know, be like, Oh yeah, I accidentally bet these people's lives. Instead. He's just like, Odo, you want to take over? Cause these guys are important and this is getting too high stakes. But Quark caught on right at the time where he had to choose the short or double down. Or double down or not, like go the long path. And and that was the moment when Quark like caught on that he was playing with humans because he counted, he goes four, you said four people are missing. Oh. And then he hands it over to Odo and Odo's like, what are you talking about? I have to go find those people. And Odo goes off and keeps looking. All right, before we and, get- And that's, so like, I get your guys' complaints about like the, the general games being childish. And that's where I think that this episode really actually stands out is Odo when he, or not Odo, Quark, when he starts to realize that he's playing with lives, Quark gets super, super nervous and just crash and burns. Has no, has no ability to play the game like a gamer. He is now playing the game like a slaver in charge of killing his employers. All right. And that's a really like weird conundrum. But then when we, when, it, when we get all the way to the resolution at no point did, is it the Wadi? Glenda said, I liked the Wadi. Yeah. I, yeah, I was going to catch no up on the fan mail. Real did quick. the game masters ever say that anyone was in danger? They just said that Quark's money was in danger. They never said lives were at stake. They never said that anybody was going to die and was going to go to hell or anything like that. They just said that Odo could play for that character next. Yeah, so Galinda... And that's where, like, it turns out that the stakes didn't exist. Okay, hold on. Let's get, let's that's get a the really fan mail clever in. clever writing trope. It's fine, mail caught up. The letter writes it, I got to help a translator at work last year, told my manager, I get to be Hoshi, LOL. Some days I miss my ex-job. Rende writes in, 
Summoning a flame, now I know how being considered the weirdo feels like and learn to ignore it, but that's the kind of stunt I would avoid. Ha. Uh, Glenda says, even though I hate Pacleds, and then Alamorane, I liked the Wadi, and then Arende finishes up. First chap. Uh, well, no, we don't yeah. We do not do the first chap. The first chap is for children. Um, oh. um, yeah, I mean, as for the summoning flame uh, line, like, look, if you do things right, it looks like you've done nothing at all, is I guess the best way to put it. Um, <laughs> and even though I hate Packlids, look, I despise the Packlid episode too. For me, Code of Honor is probably the lowest of the low points in next gen. And Packlids are just slightly above that. Um, but this also, episode... If, oh, sorry. If you don't like Packlids, real quick, I will <laughs> say you, you will enjoy certain aspects of lower. Perfect. Um, look... Ooh, when it comes to enterprise. I think part of the reason why I, I, I more or less despise this episode more than any other reason is because every other episode is so good and you feel like there's legitimate serious stakes going on and you know this just doesn't have that sort of stakes. And Galenda, oh my god, yes. <laughs> oh my god, yes. The podcast listeners are going to get through this. Galenda writes in, eight years of customer support for video games. Packlids are real. <laughs> <laughs> Two years of live uh, Xbox, go on! Xbox, go ring, ring of death! Halo, not go! Halo, not shoot! Oh, Call of Duty, no work. Super glitchy <laughs> when fighting boss. Yeah. <laughs> Galenda, all I can say is this. Th I've got 30 years in IT. And all I can say is I've seen things you people would never believe. Yeah, I, I'm going to take your word for that. Uh, I trust I'm gonna you. I'm going to press X to doubt because I've been working on and off in customer support that and or training people that work in customer support and i believe everything yeah um, i've seen there's a, quite a bit myself oh there's some turds that that you've definitely encountered don um it, it's uh it, not necessarily people at lion bridge i help i think you know some, some of them. them um i actively am helping oh yeah and you help their turd projects uh so they force us to use our tongue yeah, ironically enough, Glenda, I had a friend who worked, oh, uh, said I had a, uh, Glenda continues, I had a guy cuss me out because he thinks Xbox games are plug and play. Wow, that is Pac-Led freaking IQ for sure. Um, no, I actually no, had a friend what, of mine. what they who, don't realize is all Microsoft products are plug and pray that it works. Yeah, and I had a friend who worked at a call center <laughs> for a, for a big play. For a big cell phone company and one of the ways they would get themselves out of calls if they if the idiot just didn't understand was to say all right is the phone off no it's on okay can you turn it off and turn it back on for me real quick and of course you know they go to turn their phone yeah. off and oh they disconnected darn it uh <laughs> the amount of times that that worked in my favor in customer support but also up resolve like you know they give those customer surveys i would get five stars somebody would be like yeah he had me hard reset and we lost connection but it fixed my phone so thanks yeah. five stars 
Yeah, uh, Rende writes in, you wouldn't believe how right Galinda is. Worked on an alarm Galinda. central signal management central. Uh, I think you meant center oh, for that last one. you didn't publish that one. What? That one's not posted. That's there. For... Oh, weird. It's not showing up on my... That's weird. Oh, okay. you need to set... Oh, you probably have it set to top chat, so you probably should set it to live chat. For some reason, it filters... YouTube thinks it knows what's best for all of us. Uh, let's see. You wouldn't believe right or right. Glenda is uh, worked in an alarm center, central signal management center. People too dumb to remember their family name is the password. That's the kindest example. Glenda writes, he had bought it six months after release and was mad. I advised he download the update. Yeah. And then Arende says, said central twice in the same sentence. Sorry. No, yeah, I figured you meant center because uh, that sounds like the but. But yeah, no, there's there's definitely some 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 packlids, and I think there was definitely packlids writing "Run Along Home," or it was you know "Bring Your Kids to the Writers Room Day." Uh, I, I just, I, you know, Corian, I think you hit it best. Nickelodeon in the '90s really uh, really solidifies probably the thinking behind this episode of "Oh, let's see how do we get the kids to watch our show? Oh, let's appeal to their dumb dumbness." But no, I, I think that's where you're like missing the whole like the actual big place in this show because they say chaps one and two are for children. Chaps one is for children, and they say one and two. You start well, one. One is for children. No, two it? is like for beginners and inner, you know, but if beginners and adults, and then yeah. So they start on two. Yeah, and so okay, so they start on chapter two, and so. It's already immediately expressed that this game is played by children in their universe, in their society. And if that's the case, are they letting their children risk other people's children to play this game? And that was the beginning of the game. The start of the game, they announced that children play this game. See, you have like, John. And then it, you have and what what I'm going to no, call the. But no, but at no point did they ever declare that anyone was ever going to die. So like everything you guys are like saying is bad. Yeah, but it's a kids' game. The only person that was supposed to be scared at any given point was Quark, because they were intentionally paying back a cheater, and they couldn't pay him back by calling him a cheater because they know. He's the owner of the establishment, and to call him a cheater is to destroy diplomatic ties with Starfleet and all of this. And then, at the very end of the episode, it all comes out that this was all just a way to get over one on a Ferengi, and it worked. I get Name where one you're... other episode yeah, where they get so, one over on a so Ferengi John... so innocently. Oh, they're coming up. Without uh... actually putting anybody in danger. But so here, so here's the thing. I think we're gonna we're gonna coin the the phrase uh, PD predator syndrome, and that is where you know this is the first time you're watching this, and so you've got a little bit of, of a different nuanced take, just like I did watching Prey, then Predator for the first time ever. <laughs> so you know all the Predator fans get, get can't stand Prey, think I'm an idiot or something, um, or, or at least they disagree heavily with such strong words. And uh, that's fine. I'm not offended by that. I, I get it. Predator has its diehard fans. That's like people who say Star Trek is dumb. Um, but you know what? It's okay to be wrong. <laughs> now, uh, the thing about it, the reason why this episode is also considered hate is I'm going to go a little bit meta with it for a second. 
Um, this is the one that is also universally hated by all of the cast members. Um, at, at, at some point, like Avery Brooks, um, that, this was the only time he had anything bad to say about working on the show. At least as far as I've seen in conventions and, and videos. Is, is he, that he, he does mention that uh, the episode The Siege of AR-558 was some of the most difficult filming right. he ever did. But and that's just this, a... Well, yeah, we'll get to this that. This is a loathing, uh, though, yeah. on his part. Yeah, he doesn't like it, and I think uh, the rest of the cast basically confirmed that out of all the episodes, it wasn't, it was not fun to make because I guess it was a pain in the ass to set up the sound stage, and they only had so much time. And I just, I've, I've heard different horror stories about it, but I'm, I just probably should have brushed up on them first before claims. Point is, this one isn't necessarily just a fan uh, favorite to hate. It's also a cast like. You tell them. So, what was the worst experience on DS9? Ugh, run along home. Alamarine, but, Count okay, of Four, Alamarine, like, Alamarine, Alamarine, Alamarine. But it's like I, I get it. Like I, I get why there are so many easy reasons to hate this. But like, to me, I feel like that's just okay. More okay, like, let's let's be let's be, be clear hold on, here. Hold on. Let me finish. Let me finish this thought. Let me finish this thought. Like I think there is this idea that you can't have 10 attends across the board you can't say every episode is good you can't you, like you have to have a weighted scale right and i think that's fair and then i also think that like bias experience people reception activities within the thing that like these are all things that are going to change our way of describing something but like to say that this is the worst episode so far like I don't think so because if you look at a lot of the acting there are so many scenes where like the the characters fake the worst shakes like William Shatner was shaking himself in every single shake scene of every episode of original STO or and, and, and so original, that's the original where I series. This, all, right, all right, all right. Let's make sure we're clear. TOS is holy track. TOS. It's separate from the Okay. Rest. I, I'm I'm gonna put. I'm, the, I'm I got like, this. But, I got this one. Pollo Zapatos. I am pr- I am suggesting this challenge to you. Once we finish Deep Space Nine, I encourage you to go back to this episode, rewatch it after watching the totality of Deep Space Nine, and then rewatch this conversation. Okay, but that, that might be after the half to do the post. Here's where I say that that is what's jading you. Here's why I think that's what's jading. Because okay. I'm watching this for the very first time in a row, based off of every single science fiction movie that I've seen up till 2022, and I'm now coming at it like, guys, let's just look at the most recent like Netflix drops in terms of their uh the solo actors in solo pods because of the pandemic like they're dumb none of the sci-fi makes sense the reason why there's one survivor on board doesn't make sense the reason there's a stowaway justifications like it's the laziest stuff whether it's because of uh rich billionaire bezos makes it to mars and now makes it impossible for everybody else to come in Right, like it, it, it's just tried and true tropes 
with bad writing. But if you look at this one and you analyze it specifically, and, and this goes back to my point earlier about like, I didn't actually watch most of the episode. I listened to it. If you listen to the writing, if you hear the words spoken, it doesn't break anything DS9. It may be the worst in all of DS9, but it's better than most of 2022 still because oh, yeah, it that'll doesn't give you. break its own lore. It doesn't break its own video. Yep. It, it, it doesn't even, it doesn't lie to you. It doesn't try to tell you that the captain or commander is in danger. It doesn't try to tell you that uh, Quark is the good guy. It okay. literally tells you from the jump, Quark screwed these people over. They love games. So to retaliate, they play a game with Quark and they leave all of the details blank and Quark loses it. Okay. Uh, like I said, and that is like my... That, that's the story they said they were going to tell and that's the story they told. Yeah, well, if DS9... If DS9 is the gold standard of Star Trek, this is just a bronze episode. That's the best way to put it. Because, I mean, you're not wrong in what you're well, saying. Not, and I can it's accept that analysis. Poorly I can accept that opinion of it. Like, if you're, if you're saying gold and this is the bronze, then yeah. If you can say this is the worst episode in DS9, then yes, I can accept that. But the way you're attacking it is, like, you're saying this is... Like, every episode of Strange New Worlds wishes... It was written as well as which is it was episode. it was yeah that's a good way that'll agree with that is that that will one hundred percent and, and that's with. why I say your opinions are jaded. I'm not saying that you're jaded. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm not even saying yeah. I, your I, I guess aren't fair. I'm saying that as somebody who is coming no, a from Rende. new world rewatch watching it for the first time, it still stands up as better writing than half the sci-fi that released this year. Yeah. Okay, and so that's huge. We do have a bunch of uh, yeah. fan mail here. Uh, do you want to take it, Petey? Oh yeah, Glenda says uh, I didn't hate it as much as some, but I didn't have to act it. Uh, yeah. yeah, very true. Uh, Rende writes uh, Poyo Zapatos rewatching this episode once DS Nine is done. My eyes smoke coming off his burning corneas. Glenda, I dislike TOS Enemy Within more, and I think and I love Matheson's writing. And Arenda says, Bronze try lead. Now, this episode still has some stuff of value, as Poyo Zapatos pointed out. It's not, yeah, it's like, not even, crap level crap even, trick. Even on that tier, if if you're gonna say the entirety of DS9 is gold, and this is the lead episode of the gold series, fair. Like yeah. I, I don't want this episode by any means. I, I don't think that this episode stands out as one that shouldn't be belittled. But I do think that compared to modern sci-fi, compared to the sci-fi that came out between me watching this and now, and what, like, and all that, like, that yeah, shows I, I, that this I get where still followed from. all the rules of Trek and good writing. I get, I get where you're coming from. I guess this is what I want to give you. When this first aired, at that point in time, we were dealing with Babylon 5, we had Deep Space Nine, we had Space Above and Beyond, which is a criminally underrated uh, series, uh, like a sci-fi series. We were getting arguably the golden age 
of science fiction with where the science is more important than the fiction on TV at that time. So when I say, look, this one's a stinker in comparison to what was going on at that period in time and everything else that is attached to it. That's where that is primarily coming from. I Again, think still fair. Right. I'm and I think that, that like, there are ways to fix this episode. Oh, for sure. Right. You just make any of the challenges slightly harder and less chanting. <laughs> Not just fix the challenges, but I feel like you could do a lot um, of deep work with Quark being under the impression that, oh, it was just going to be holograms of people he cared about. And then it being swept to, no, it is people he cares about. If the effects had been up to being able to do that at the time, I think we would have had a fantastic way to go through this. Right? Yeah, I, think, I feel like if, if he could have seen the pieces moving on the board dealing with what they were dealing with. Right. And like thinking that they're holograms and then thinking that they're real people and then learning that nobody was actually in danger like yeah that would have definitely made it better right the fact that it was like chess holodeck chess holodeck that that yeah I, I see how that does make it a bad episode but again like all of this is this is me saying because we are the writer brothers like let's focus on the writing even yep. at its worst day it didn't try to make us feel stupid. Yeah, the games ah, yeah. were dumb. Yeah, you thought you could easily beat that game, but if you were Quark, who just cheated people, and found out that the commander and the main crew were all abducted, and suddenly now Quark's sweat makes sense, like, at no point are you lied to, and I think that's, that's it's a yeah, really, I, I, I get really low standard for good writing but like it I get where still you're meets that and that I, me I get like, where you're I get where you're coming why from I appreciate it yeah and and look I respect your opinion I dis I respectfully disagree with it but I do respect it um well that's the funny thing is you guys did agree in terms of saying that like the show itself is the gold standard of good Star Trek writing this was just the worst version of that good Star Trek writing. And the worst version of that good Star Trek writing is still better than most of the modern sci-fi. Yeah. And I mean, I will give you that main point. Yeah, I will give you that. But this, to me, this episode, it it represents them realizing the direction that they kind of had to go based on the feedback Mm. that they got. Like they kind of went, Oh, we can't go campy here right and that's great though this is your that is phenomenal right i mean like that it's definitely feedback usefulness but i just um because you could get away with a lot of camp in tos you could get away with an awful lot of camp in tos you could get away with some camp in tng early seasons anyway early seasons this is the line. This is where they realized camp is not going to work anymore. We have to go into, we can have humorous, we can have, you know, absurdly hilarious, 
but we also have to have serious now. I would say that it does get campy later on, but they do it in a very classy and dignified manner, not this, oh, let's just do Wipeout, you know, DS9 edition. Well, um, okay. All right, catch up. I'm going to catch up. Catch up. Okay, yeah. Uh, catch up real quick. Arendi writes in, lead can be valuable. Try lead acetate. Tastes good. Gives lead poisoning, though. It's a sugar replacement used by the Romans. And we wonder why our ancestors are dumber than us. Galinda writes in, lead can shield us from radiation. Yes, but we should shield ourselves from lead. And Arendi, sorry, I shouldn't be railing on that episode so much. No, feel free to rail. Like, I, I hope you guys know I'm incentivized by the disagreement it makes me feel like my points actually matter more because i'm actually saying something to convince others that i'm talking to actively and and i mostly want to get the, the the point across that like we chose ds9 because everybody who actually enjoys it enjoys it way too much for it to be fun to just be DS9 isn't another Marvel like if you're going to say DS9 is the best of Star Trek Star Trek is the Marvel title and DS9 is like your Tony Stark it's your favorite superhero of the universe and if that's the case there has to be a reason and so why I'm adamantly like saying no the episode wasn't that bad well that's me coming at it from the point of view of like if I look at the last six series that Marvel just dropped, comparing it to this one episode, they wish they put this much effort into their campy games, into their campy episodes. And instead, their entire series is a joke. And that's where DS9, even on their worst day, still was good writing. Poor execution, poor delivery, poor timing, but better than anything we've seen today. Uh, Galinda also writes in, life is boring if we always agree on everything. Agreed, 100%. Well, this show's boring now. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, you had a little bit <laughs> you wanted to actually <laughs> cover. said the, the same last... thing. Yeah, yeah, I mean, we're actually doing really great on time this week, so I'm, I'm actually not even at all nervous about how we pace for the rest of this month because even though we're doing two movies and two episodes and maybe a little blurb at the end we're doing fantastic um we're getting our groove i mean it took us 34 episodes but we're getting our groove yeah today's episode 35 um i think it was 32 i don't even remember Ah. (laughs) once we get to that 52 then i'll I'll check when i post it on the podcast yeah uh, so, some exciting Star Trek Online news happened last week. Some some very exciting news. Now, uh, if you're like Corion and you're not excited about this, well, I'm going to try and change your mind as to why you should be excited for me being excited. Um, the Star Trek Picard Season 3 trailer came out. Now, I tried Season 1, and I hated that that show um i thought it was just terrible that is that is an alternate universe fan fiction picard that is not uh let's see this the speech that john luke gives to q in uh tapestry pretty much applies to my feelings for season one picard um i skipped season two because i was not impressed with season one 
And of course, Discovery Season 2 also put a bad taste in my mouth as well. So, I was, I've been pretty much kind of over it with New Trek. The only reason I'm giving Lower Decks a try is because they have actually had moments in that show where they, they do have listened to fan feedback and are actually making the characters more relatable and enjoyable to watch on screen, surprisingly enough. Um, so, of course, uh, when I saw the first Picard Season 3 trailer, I was like, yeah, you know, it's whatever. I probably might try it. It did bring the hype. It was a pretty well, decently put together trailer. I had to admit. Um, I also like the idea of a Captain Seven of Nine. Uh, I know she's technically a commander, but she's captain of a ship, so captain counts. Um, so, it's got some intrigue, and I think if they kind of ignore the last two seasons of Picard, it could be okay, at the very least. But, oh man, did I scream like a little girl when I saw my favorite ship in all of Star Trek Online canonized on screen. Um, that was so amazing. It's only a couple of seconds you see the Enterprise F. Yes, Arende, that's, that's, it's the Enterprise F. Um, Arende also adds, hope they can actually cast Captain Sean. Uh, they could do that, but in the timeline, Sean doesn't technically take command of the Enterprise until 2410. So, but... You know, they've kind of screwed with the timeline, and it's kind of at the point where Star Trek Online's really just a multiverse uh, hub um, theme park, which is honestly why I love the that game. It's, it's really theme park. They managed to age it the right way um, at this point, because if you want to play TOS era, or if you want to play TNG era, or 2409 era, or even 32nd Century Discovery era, they've got ships, uniforms, weapons everything you want to kid out your your fantasy star trek adventure like i i I, yeah it's absolutely worth it whether you're a legacy fan like me or a uh uh, a newer fan it doesn't matter you you give the the, yeah you're gonna see some new trek ships if you if you don't want to see that i mean there's no get away from it but thing about that is i have noticed a lot of players either gravitate towards the legacy ships or the Odyssey class or the cryptic original designs. Or if they do a new Trek ship, they like the the the, the new designs that Hector Ortiz and Thomas Maroney put together. Yeah. Um so I'm definitely in that camp. I actually personally I dodged the entire discovery plot lines. I literally just skipped them. Yeah, you didn't miss out on much unless you really were excited to play alongside Jason Isaacs. Not even a little. <laughs> Yeah, uh, there's there's way better storylines. I don't know if you made it to the Delta Quadrant yet, but since they oh got, yeah, so the so you got to experience all the new stuff with Janeway then. Yeah, listen, they added her to that. She wasn't there on the first run of the Delta stuff. I, I loved the Delta stuff. I love uh, the Klingon Civil War. <laughs> um, and the Dominion side of the equation too, and how that plays into it all. Oh, I love those plots. They were fantastic. Whenever Cryptic has done something and just gone, I'm just going to go for it, it turns out pretty amazing. Yeah, uh, we're definitely doing the Victory is Life at the very least as our Season 8 of DS9. We'll we'll probably either live play through it and then discuss it on the following Tuesday or something. We'll we'll figure that out in four years. Um, Yeah. So it's, yeah, we got time. (laughs) But it, it, it really is cool. And, you know, 
this is this is now that kind of love hate thing with Kurtzman crap Trek is it's like because these new shows are bringing new interest that's why I get to keep one of my favorite games that I bought a lifetime subscription to and now I'm seeing my favorite ship on screen and yeah you know I'm gonna be honest the trailer is fan service central um, they pulled out all the fan service stops for this one. It's going to be the, the TNG reunion that everyone hopes is going to work out, which I'm going to be honest, guys. While I'm probably going to watch season three, I'm I'm not holding my breath on the quality. I'm, I'm really just going to be there to see the Enterprise F and then and then if it well, goes, if it goes a good direction, great. But I'm setting my expectations to subterranean. I think there's something to acknowledge that I don't think we have acknowledged in the past and that's that with the, the the pandemic hitting right in the middle of the Me Too movement or right at the end well, of the Me hold Too on, movement. Hold on, hold, hold on, hold on. Glenda's no, fan mail has to be addressed. <laughs> Maybe modern Trek is what people in the Trek universe watch for sci-fi. You know, in such a perfect society, it would make sense that you would have something so illogical. Uh, and downloading Ark as we speak. All right, got another one. Um, nice. But no, now so someone needs to get a gaming it. computer and join us. Yeah, birthday boy, why don't you buy yourself to make a make money so he can move out of his mother-in-law's house, or save up a bunch of money and just buy a house in three years. Either way, it's your <laughs> anyway. We don't need to get into play. the market crashes life. and BlackRock loses all of its private equity properties. All right, we'll save it for the but, rogue council. Being said, let's go back to what I was trying to say earlier, and something that I think we need to acknowledge in the fast fashion that is modern Hollywood. The pandemic hit right at the peak of Me Too, and Me Too writing was supposedly the writing everybody was asking for. But in reality, Me Too has more to do with workplace dynamics than it does to do with our media. Yeah. Because in most cases, anyone who disrespects women or the opposite sex at any point in a movie is heralded and ubiquitously named the bad guy. And that's been the case for all of Hollywood. We've never liked that guy. We've always considered him the, and this is the obligatory bad word, douchebag of the series. Like, and, and nobody goes, you know who I want to be? The douchebag. And you know, you're, you're starting to understand why I hate season three, episode seven of Lower Decks. Continue. But so that's where the whole series and, and everything that we're getting from New Trek to modern sci-fi to, it, it, it's all echo chamber of the me too movement trying to say that the media hasn't been the entire reason the me too movement was capable of happening like if all of our heroines that beat up the the male piece like the the dogmatic male then females in real life wouldn't have stood up and I think that's what's important to recognize is that our media was already making us better. And now they're trying to say sorry for that. And that's what we're getting. And so it's totally possible that season three Picard could be the response to the responses. Like, no, we already knew to be better. You at the executive C-suite are finally catching on you don't need to change our media you just need to change your internal practices and so 
Picard season three could get rid of a lot of that uh, high horse mentality in its writing because they have had time to learn from all the other seasons and then they were put in their box. Theoretically. That's okay, my hope. So, so here's what I want to put out there. I want you to consider um, the history of film for a little bit. And we're going to take it all the way back to the 70s for a second. The 70s, a lot of the plots, the reason why we got some of those crazy avant-garde indie feeling films was because the old guard were more or less booted out of Hollywood. The 70s started that those nascent first steps of the independent guys into moving into the studio series. In the 80s, the guys who were in charge at this point had had no writers except for these indie guys for a while. So they said, you know what? You come up with a crazy ass story. We will make it happen. And we got arguably some incredible TV from that time period. Even if the quality wasn't necessarily there, the writing 100% went up in terms of just off the wall, anything we can think of, we're going to put on film kind of stuff. In the 90s, those same writers matured. And they became, they had had time in the system. They understood what worked, what didn't work, what have you. They were ready. And that's why we had a bit of a golden age or renaissance of, of film. Uh, and we see that throughout. The 2010s is when those guys started to leave the industry. And the problem that the thing they did good, I'm going to say, is that they produced really good stuff. The, the thing they didn't do was plan for the future. Because they didn't properly take on the younger writers and work with them and teach them the lessons that they learned. They only just kind of so got that, out of their way and let them do it. And now we're in a series. Is that a lack of planning or a lack of training? It's a lack of, Education. it's a lack of forward like vision. It's a lack of understanding that you mm -hmm. need a legacy. And now we're in an environment where those kids who did not get the appropriate training when they could have mentored under some of the giants right now have all the keys to the candy store right um anybody who's really familiar with sci-fi will be very familiar with the name dc fontana okay dc fontana is one of was one of the greatest sci-fi writers of all time she was amazing you put her and harlan ellison in uh in a room together they could create the one of the best series you'd ever imagine the problem is they didn't mentor the younger kids to be able to take over for them when their time was done. And now we're seeing the repercussions of that. I don't think this has to do with politics necessarily. I think it has to do with the writer's lack of understanding of the product that and, and the process that is affecting them terribly. I think we've got the same quality of people that we've always had working in Hollywood. I don't think they had the appropriate mentorship 
to be able to rise to the heights that the Giants previously had. And that's what we're seeing here. And that's why I don't know if Picard Season 3 will be good. But I will say this. Not this genre. Like, not New Trek. But the phase of Trek after New Trek is going to be great. Because those writers will have matured. And they will have figured out the rules again. But until we get there... I don't know if it's just the writer's fault. Like, I get this idea, especially from watching Call Me Chato, and it was Chato. He actually said it yeah, himself he did. on I, his I, stream. I was, I was the wrong. next episode after you tried to change yep. it. <laughs> Got really happy about that. Um, but listening to Call Me Chato, he is a former EP, and I really think the thing that they never taught anyone on their way out was if you know it's good, listen and keep saying it's good because like he he really expressed it in the show a lot that like he only critiqued minor things he didn't try to change writing okay all right so well uh real quick corion no go for it oh yeah uh, I want to thank everybody for watching again tonight. Galenda, Arende, you guys are awesome. Uh, love having you guys uh, spice up the discussion a little bit with your contributions when you can. And we can't, we're just glad you guys are here at all. Um, I also want to, of course, thank our podcast listeners listening on the audio. Um, next week, we are going to be doing reviews of John Carpenter's The Thing and Shaun of the Dead. Those are my October movie picks. And then, of course, we will continue with the next follow-on two episodes of Deep Space Nine, which I should have left that list up. I don't know why I took it down. Corey, what, what episodes do we have next? Do you remember? I don't off the top of my head, but I would imagine it would be The Nagus. Yes. And uh, Vortex. Yes. Yeah, Nagus and Vortex. So, yes, if you guys want to catch up and watch along with us, we'd absolutely appreciate it. Um, And if you're not in for the Shaun of the Dead uh, review, listen, you can just go to the Winchester, have a pint, and let it all blow over. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely, too. Any of our fans that are are living uh, over the pond. But, uh, yeah. So uh, that's what we're gonna try and do. We're gonna try and update the. I'm gonna put out on my Twitter what we're watching. Uh, that's that Sunday or Saturday or Sunday, so we know what's going on. And of course, if you do like our content, please keep getting it out there for your other friends and family who might be interested. And uh, also, please uh, check out Super Quest if you're unsure about Swotor, if it's for you, but you do like our story-driven content and our story-driven uh, approach. Um. We're, we're covering all the story stuff in SWOTOR now. So, uh, Pollo Zapatos, any final quick tidbits before we finish up? Yeah, thanks for uh, celebrating my birthday with me, guys. I really appreciate that. Yes, happy birthday to you once again. And, uh, oh, I think I'm a little bit, I think I'm a little bit ahead again on, on this one. Any, any quick promos or shout outs, guys? Corian's channel. The yeah. best. Such great content. The craft. I loved it. I listened to it for 40 minutes and I wish it was longer, guys. You should really check it out. You'll really enjoy it. Corey well, in a part two is coming. Speaker. Part two is coming this uh, Sunday. Um, we go. If you thought we'd gotten a little uh, out of control in the last one, just wait till you see what we do here. Uh, Galenda and Arende, of course, write in happy birthday. So. All right. Uh, if you haven't 
check out the Violent Night trailer starring David Harbour as an action badass Santa Claus. Uh, we're definitely, uh, we're probably planning a special live reaction for that one after it comes out, but we'll have, we'll have more details on that uh, as it comes. Otherwise, uh, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Bye, everybody. We'll